Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I am your guest, Danny Rankin. And we are your hosts, Parker Dolman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 231. Danny Rankin is an instructor in the Creative Technologies and Design Program at the University of Colorado Boulder. Both the courses he teaches and his individual research reflects a diverse array of expertise, including graphic design, material fabrication, game design, hardware hacking, sustainable agriculture, and large-scale installation art. So Danny was last guest on episode 171, 60 episodes ago. Mayonnaise drone. That was that was about a year ago, right? Yeah, I don't I don't know. Over a year ago. Time is not a real thing anymore. Time is all <laughs> fake. So 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 I have to admit, out of at, to now two hundred and thirty one episodes, this one by a long shot, or I'm sorry, not this one, but your last episode was the favorite my favorite title of any podcast we've done. Mayonnaise drones and other war crimes. And that actually references what we talk about. Yeah, no, we, we literally uh, discussed mayonnaise drones and their various usages, uh, including potential war crimes. I don't remember. <laughs> Honestly, I was probably uh, super wasted. It's all gone now. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Danny, for coming back on our podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. So whatever happened to that project? Uh, I think it was a student that was making a drone that would put condiments on sandwiches yeah i I mean there were a couple of tests i mean they had a functional quadcopter and then they basically were just working on a squeezing mechanism that was attached to it um i i honestly don't know what happened to it i have a pretty strong feeling that like many of those projects they got it partially working uh, enough to document it for a class project and then promptly forgot about the entire thing afterwards it's sitting in some corner of boulder yeah, I mean, oh, it's probably God. in the lab with, like, a rotten mayonnaise bottle strapped to it somewhere. So, yeah, oh. that's definitely. <laughs> it has, it's not sentient and flying around Denver dropping mayonnaise. Man, him. that would have been that would have been an A project if we made a sentient mayonnaise drone um, <laughs> next semester, I guess. <laughs> well, actually, speaking about next semester, one of the, one of the topics we want to cover uh, today is actually um, education during COVID. So mm. not trying to bring the whole conversation down here or anything. Oh, you know, it's fine. It's not like I don't think about, you know, what what's COVID again? What's that? Is there a thing? <laughs> is there a thing happening? You know, that mayonnaise drone could replace servers at restaurants. I know. Just what we need, I yeah. guess. Just red, red robots flying around, squirting condiments. That's like the classic engineering fix. Instead of just being like, why don't we just not go to restaurants for a while? We're like, no, why don't we develop complicated robots to replace all the functions of humans so people can still go to restaurants? And I'm like, cool. Yeah, great. Think, think about it. If you can't go to your favorite bar, what if the bar came to you in terms of a flying drone? Yeah, but also I, the bar comes to me at home by way of me purchasing, uh, you know, adult <laughs> beverages and just having them at home. But yes, I am a fan of uh, potentially uh, air-based hazards flying around with glass bottles of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> Flammable liquid. Uh, kids would just like underage kids on the hill would just like wait for the drone deliveries to go out and they'd like shoot them down and they'd all be score like a handle of Jack Daniels that was attached to a quadcopter and like yeah (laughs) they'd have like net launchers and things yeah like uh, RPGs and like uh, surface to air missiles like (laughs) 
Yeah, all of these things that they would also have to develop, all for the sake of just grabbing a bottle of alcohol. You can also brew your own alcohol at home without needing to be 21. Like, that's a... It's not an immediate gratification sort of situation, but, like, you know, you don't have to be 21 to buy all of the ingredients to, like, homebrew, right? That's a so, pretty high level of patience for a young youngster. And I say if that's the level of patience you have, then, like, more power to you, right? <laughs> You're like, oh, no, I'm not going to, you know, slam this 30 rack of, uh, of Natty Ice. I'm going to actually take, you know, a couple of weeks and, and cold lager this in my, my uh, secondary fridge over here. I'm like, yeah, you should underage drink. You seem really high strung. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Danny, how's uh, how's everything been being a uh, a professor during COVID? It's tough, man. You know, like uh, we in the spring semester, we went um, basically midway through. They were like, oh, I think we might be switching to doing some remote stuff. And then the next day, they were like. Uh, it seems pretty. And then the next day they were like, campus is closed. Everything's done. It literally like flipped on a coin. We went from being like, I wonder if this disease is serious to being like, oh, well, I guess we're changing literally everything. So, yeah, I was in the spring. I was teaching my graphic design class, uh, game design, and another like smaller game design studio class. And um, all of those classes transitioned pretty well. Um you know, the, the game design one is tricky because so much of that one is about, like, in-person prototyping and rapid prototyping around, like, you know, cutting out pieces of paper and testing stuff, and, and it's very hard to adapt that. But uh, the students did some cool stuff where they basically, I, I pivoted the course to just have them develop games that were meant for remote play, like over Zoom, Skype sort of interfaces. Uh, so we did a lot of design exercises there. And I think, you know, the classes went the best when I tried to actually really switch to adapt them to the the context rather than just trying to say like we're just going to do the same thing except over the internet um mm -hmm. but yeah so that that's both it's encouraging because you're like okay well you know you, you can do it and this educational experience can still be rewarding but you know for a lazy person like myself it's like oh wow i have to do like i have to rewrite all of these courses to try and make them work in a new new way which is tough um, and, and, you know, I taught summer, I co-taught with a friend of mine, um, kind of a bigger design introduction course. And it was really fun. We did like a ton of, it was a Maymester class of just like 14 days straight of just insanity, you know, four hours a day, uh, cranking through projects and doing weird design experiments. And I think that the biggest thing that I noticed is just that like students don't respond as actively. I always struggle with students, you know, just sort of sitting there and you ask a question and, and everyone's just like, I don't want to say anything. And when you're behind the screen, it's even worse because people are like, oh, I just turn my camera off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it's tough to try and foster those sorts of environments. And, and uh, the school's trying to figure out how to do some version of in-person learning in the fall, but it's still just a a crapshoot, right? Like sometimes they're like, we're going to do amazing in-person experiences. And then the next day I get an email that's like, don't bank on that from like somebody below somebody else in the chain. They're like, actually it might all be remote still. So be ready for the worst. Be ready for everything. Prepare for all scenarios. Great. Cool. <laughs> I can imagine on university, everyone's got those big inflatable, like 
bouncy balls that they yeah. you get in and roll around like a hamster. The like Zerbu kind of or Zor Zorbs. Yeah. Zorbs. Yeah. Zorbs. Yeah. But everyone's yeah. got them. So mm -hmm. you got like fifteen thousand people on campus with Zorbs rolling around. <laughs> I'm into that version of of education. And you can it's be like first person to pick up this piece of bacon gets 50 extra credit points and you fling it out into a field and see if you can like roll over and grab it. <laughs> I don't know why bacon, I just, the first thing came to mind. I mean, bacon, bacon would just, I mean, you'd have a thousand people running. It reminds me of that game, bacon. Did you all ever play that game? It's like a, like a camp game, like a youth group camp game where there's like a thing in the middle of the room and there's two teams and they call numbers and both pe two people try and run and grab the thing and then whoever gets it first has to hit the person with the thing. I think it was steal the bacon. Yeah, steal the bacon. Is that? I think that sounds familiar. Yeah, something I like that. I know steal the bacon was a game. Yeah, and that involved hitting people with a thing. We used to do it with a cow tongue um, in my like church youth group growing up. They'd like have a raw cow tongue, and you'd have to like grab the cow tongue and like hit the other person with the cow tongue. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what. Maybe there's something strange about it because I went to a church camp at a young at a younger age, and we had like a whole day that you had to carry a cow tongue around. And um, you, like they, we showed up in the morning to like assembly, and they had trash cans full of cow tongues, and each team got a cow tongue, and uh, they got sued for that because there's some serious <laughs> problems with carrying around a raw cow tongue all, all day. day. Yeah, yeah, but I mean it's Texas though; cow tongues are just everywhere, right? That's just kind of how Texas works. Well, and it, it's hot enough that it was already cooked <laughs> by like noon. Oh god! I mean, it was raining yesterday, and there was like forty cow tongues in my my yard now. Yeah, that's just they grow they grow like weeds there. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna really confuse some people. What were we talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. Education. <laughs> well, I mean, there's your pivot. And I don't know what they were trying to teach those kids with cow tongues, but we're gonna teach them engineering. No, I, I honestly don't know what's gonna happen in the fall. Um, I try not to be cynical, but there's a part of me that thinks that the desire overall to try and have some version of in-person learning is just to keep students from taking Damn. a semester off. Because uh, I think a lot of students are like, you know what, I could probably afford to just um, get a job or hang with my parents or whatever for a semester or two until things are back to more what I want. And if that happens, I mean, the university is screwed financially, right? Just like in terms of tuition dollars, like a 10 or 15% drop, I think somebody told me at CU, a 10, for, 10 or 15% drop in enrollment is like $250 million shortfall or something like that, like just insane. So, I mean, you know, there's pay cuts and there's furloughs and, and my department's been pretty chill so far as we, small pay cut, like a 5% pay cut, which is a bummer, but um, everybody's doing it. And um, yeah, they're, they're just trying to keep it together um and the hard thing is figuring out both you know how do you make just education engaging overall and now we have like another layer of complexity to it and yeah so as far as fall goes though it's really uh it's it's anybody's guess i i think that you know i don't mind the remote environment that much a lot of the classes that i teach i teach like big lecture with a lot of multimedia and stuff, but teaching people like physical computing and soldering and fabrication. And I'm teaching like my intro to fabrication class in the fall, which normally involves me being like, this is wood. This is a table saw, like that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> it's like the engineering birds and the bees. 
Yeah, I know what I'm about to say. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this this is metal. This is how you use an angle grinder. Like, things like that. Um, I don't really feel comfortable just being like, watch a video of someone using an angle grinder uh, and then do it yourself because I'm just going to... I'm just going to have a kid on Zoom being like bleeding out of there, like, Daddy, what do I do? And I'm like, don't call 911. <laughs> kid, kid, kid turns on smoking and goes, What happens if your hand falls off? And I'm like, Well, it's <laughs> just like squirting. <laughs> first, you get an automatic A in this class. B, yeah. <laughs> don't sue me, please. Please don't sue the school. It's a real bad time. Like, if you got to do it, sue them just like maybe in a couple semesters. Yeah, no, I don't know. Um, classes like that are, are tricky, yeah. Like, so I, in the fall, I'm teaching a big graphic design intro lecture, which I teach every semester, and, and that one's pretty dialed in for remote uh, or hybrid, whatever it's going to be. We might do the lectures remote, and then they do small groups for practicum and, and kind of critique. And for the fabrication class, it might look like me making a bunch of demo videos and then holding a lot of office hour blocks in the lab where like three students come in at a time and use the shop and and i'm there to help and supervise um that's kind of how i'm building it right now we have these like long lab blocks and i was just going to be like all right well you all have to watch me tell you how to do this stuff and then you're just going to come in and do it and i'll be partially available sometimes so i don't know i hope it, it still works out that class is really fun to teach normally um and i don't want to lose it but yeah, it's a. You know, I'm I'm really curious about that because, um, well, that that was one of the questions I wanted to go over was, you know, how do we get technology across, in in you know if if things are so restrictive, uh, and I'm almost wondering if it's going to be a lot more just holistic and open, with the idea where it's just like okay, well, I can't really do everything for you, and I can't really show everything, so you got to figure it out yourself. Yeah, and I mean, on one hand, that's great because there's a part of this whole learning thing where you're like, yeah, you're going to learn it better if you actually just make the mistakes on your own. And that's a big philosophy of how I teach almost everything. But there are just gaps that happen when you can't see a person doing it, right? Or, you know, a video is only giving you this two-dimensional angle of this thing in the moment, and it's not really multi-sensory. It's, it's sort of this, you know, all of your senses are, are kind of just getting a partial part of the picture. And you know, I can't be like, this is what it smells like when, uh, you know, chlorine gas is, is released from your <laughs> plastics that you're not supposed to light on fire, right? Um, you know, there's certain parts of it that are that are just lost. I actually think for fabrication in particular, there's almost like an, uh, an intelligence or almost like a sixth sense that you develop about materials when you've just worked with them long enough and you sort of see them and you look at it and you go like, nah, that's too thin. Like, I can tell that that's going to break or snap. You don't have to do calculations on on the you know the sheer forces of something you just sort of go hmm yeah and I, for me i don't think i could do that over video i think somebody showed me a thing i'd be like yeah that looks pretty good right whereas in person i'd, I'd like turn it and go oh no these are literally all just held in with like you know non non-tightened machine screws you should probably like redo this so there's a lot of concerns i have just about the the reality of making is embodied, it's physical, you know, and I, I already have a problem with students thinking that you just press start on a 3D printer and it makes all of your machines for you. And, you know, having them one more step removed from the actual physical embodied building uh, is a little, I, I mean, yeah, I, I got to figure it out. But uh, 
it's definitely not a problem I've I've cracked yet. This semester will be a crazy test of all of that for sure. You know, um, I'm I'm actually curious about that that uh, what you just mentioned about 3D printing. Do you do you find that students uh, have that kind of mentality before? Uh, you know, um, your classes, or is that sort of like when they have their first idea, they're just like, oh, I can just 3D print this? Yeah, I think that we give them the idea. I, I don't want to, I don't want to break any young, you know, budding maker's heart, right? So I don't want them to, to look at the shop and go like, I'll never be able to make anything, right? But I actually don't find that, at least with the students that come into the university, that that's the case. If anything, they have overabundant confidence, probably because they come from oftentimes like places of privilege where they like things just sort of work out for them right and when you have a sort of a privileged mindset you're sort of like yeah everything is possible for me because it just generally has been and um so for those students yeah they come in and they're they're just like i've heard 3d printers and laser cutters are just like the best and you know i I, a lot of them don't necessarily have like a appreciation for the difficulty of doing work by hand or of actually like learning to kind of listen to a machine and work with a machine they think that even even tools that are not automated, right, not computer-assisted, but like a bandsaw, right, you know, people shove a piece of wood into it, and they're like, why does the blade go sideways? And I'm like, because you're, sh- you know, shoving a piece of material into it with too much pressure. And there's a There's a misunderstanding that tools just do things for you. And I think because digital tools, like computers in particular, it really is like I click this thing and it happens, right, you know. Those kids don't know about when it was, you know, you clicked and maybe it happened. Uh, they don't know how hard it was for me growing up on the Internet wide, the World Wide Web. I had to ride my bike uphill to the public library and dial in with a modem. It took 20 minutes to download a picture of a lady with her shirt off. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> At the library. <laughs> I do find... Most of the people who believe that way with 3D printers or have 3D printers and treat them that way, they haven't designed something themselves and printed. Right. They're usually going to Thingiverse and downloading some cool widget and then throwing it over on the slicer and then printing it. Exactly. They don't realize that actually there's a give and take with any sort of manufacturing process that it's not just press a button and my wildest imagination comes true. That you, We still live in an era where you have to really think about the capacity and the capability of how a machine works and what it can do. And yeah, I think the students learn that pretty quick because the first few times they're called upon to make something and it fails, they go, what happened? And I usually first say, well, one, 3D printing is the worst. And two, uh, you designed it really badly. (laughs) (laughs) Combination of the two. But uh, yeah, I mean, I love using computer-aided tools to to make stuff because some of the precision and the the angles and the kind of shaping that you can get it's just not something that most people even with years of experience could really do at the same time though it doesn't mean that it's a silver bullet and i think that's true of any technology that you get a hold of and it's it's a hard thing to teach because once again you don't want to stifle people's creativity and enthusiasm you don't want them to be like no i'll just make something boring you know you want them to be ambitious um, so there's this sort of weird line to walk and in, the, in an era where you're not even sure if people are engaged fully because you're just seeing them through a screen. It, it, it's also really tough to, to get that. But the students have been surprisingly really honest and, and strong with their feedback about what they like and don't like. And, and so far I've been impressed with the communication my students have given me on like what's working or not. I think they're very much 
the ones that are engaged with it are like, well, I'm here. I want to make this work, right? And they're they're trying to trying to figure it out. So, yeah, they're they're paying a lot for every hour that they're on that call. They sure. I don't know that a lot of them realize that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, they either externalize it because they're like student loans don't exist. They're the worst. Uh, uh, they'll never pay for them. Now they're they're just going to elect someone that will get rid of them. I mean, you know, we can we can hope. Uh, that that there we could literally through governance make public education like higher education more affordable uh, I'd be all all about that at the same time right now in the actual existing present it's like yeah I don't really know what the solution is I think that a lot of students don't even think about it that much though because once again because college is expensive you're already selecting a particular group of the populace who is used to like having access to, to nice stuff, even if they don't necessarily think of themselves as rich, they might still be like, well, yeah, I've never had a real problem like going to school or, you know, getting a ride somewhere or figuring out how to like get money. And uh, I don't think that that mindset changes when they go to college and, you know, they're just like, yeah, I don't know. I just come to class, right? So many students, except for ones who have, left home, worked for a little bit, and then come to, to school. I don't think the calculus of like how money is being exchanged for their education really sinks in until a couple of years later where they go like, oh, wow, I'm taking on a big debt burden um, to just kind of mess around. That's intimidating, and I don't know what's going to happen. And then they all freak out, and it's, it's, oh, that's a whole other challenge. But, yeah, I, uh, I hope that they realize that, right? And I'm trying to make it worth it for them. You know, there's definitely a a vibe that, you know, when you're taking classes remotely, and we try and use this word remote as opposed to just saying online, because remote means synchronous, uh, but via the web. So you're like live with a instructor, you're live with your peers. Uh, it's not just like watching a pre-recorded video. video and clicking an online quiz or whatever. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely this perception of value around like, well, if I'm there in person, it's worth more than it is if I'm just doing it through my computer because I'm at home. And I can say that it's it's hard for me to fight the those feelings because there's definitely part of me that's like, yeah, obviously it's better when we're in person. There's no question to me there. But um, I, I still think it can be valuable and I still think people can get like a, a quality educational experience out of it even if it's happening through a webcam for a semester or two um, I, there's obviously huge benefits to being able to work in person but you know we're going to do our best I can't even imagine what it would uh, what it's like for those who you know they were slated or still are slated to graduate right now graduate high school or college or whatever you know if 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 you just spent the last you know 12 years of your life getting a phd and this is your time to walk and get your phd like sorry you know like that's no, got to be it's the so best time hard. you get to walk in a in a zoom ball or a zorg ball across <laughs> the stage yeah they just throw bacon across the stage <laughs> we've uh, yeah we light the stage on fire cuz it's all in the computer yeah no i mean we did that we did a you know a digital thing and it was fun um, but they did a survey of the students who are graduating in our program and it was like, how many of you would be interested in participating in a virtual graduation ceremony or how many of you would rather, um, you know, just wait and have a, holy shit, 
Oh my god! Hold on a second. Hold on just a second. So, that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. Later, everyone. Take it easy. I'm alive. Everything's good? Uh, yeah, so my table saw's outside in the driveway, and I heard it turn on, and then I heard my baby scream. Uh, oh, wow. I was like, okay, yeah. no. My, this is my two-year-old, and he uh, turned on a table saw outside that I had left uh, plugged in. Uh, so that was good. So I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, fine. Funny enough, a, g- a good buddy of Parker and I's, um, he, he was uh, cutting something too small on a chop saw the other day, and uh, the chop saw won against his hand. Oh, no. Uh, luckily, well, uh, so the, it, it went across this part of his hand, and uh, the, the tendons up here that control his pointer finger, it took one of them out, and then the other one was mostly done, like mm. just chopped through. But I was, I was telling Parker, so he went and got surgery on it just the other day, and uh, the thing that's crazy about it is, like, it took 10 minutes. They basically re-glued the tendons together. And the thing that's so nuts about it, and like, with that kind of surgery, they just do it on a table, right? Like, they just numb your hand up and do it yeah and then what the best part about it is they're like well we can just check to see if it's working and they're like move your fingers and they like they have his hand wide open and he's just like and they're like yeah your tendons oh, it's are like good the scene in, in so star wars yeah in star wars where you see the bionic yeah. hand thing no yeah. um, immediately i sent him that gif of just the, <laughs> or terminator you know when he takes yeah it's like oh that's gosh. so crazy man. yeah just to be like oh my hand's open let's just make sure everything's good before i sew you up i don't want to come back you know well, dude i mean i we have just like bad histories of kids with i mean i i think i don't know if i've told you all this story about my son getting his finger bit off by a rabbit when he was my older son who's now seven like when you say off do you mean off so like the the end of the first digit of his uh, his left middle finger uh, completely nod off like it was hanging on by like a piece of skin but like looked like somebody was like tipping their top hat off to you and like blood shooting out of the end of it this is all good podcast content by the way oh yeah <laughs> no, and, you know lauren lauren was talking to me uh, a few months ago she was like hey what do you think about getting a rabbit as a pet and i was like have you ever been bit by a rabbit like no Mm-mm. Nah, man. You know, it was like a big buck rabbit so we had it in a, it's so it was when i lived on the farm and we were breeding rabbits and um all the all the female those were in their enclosure and then the buck kind of hung out in his thing by himself and um my son just walked out and stuck his hand in the cage and his little baby finger just must have looked like a carrot or something like that right because he basically i hear him just sort of squawk and i look over and the the rabbit's just like like chewing through it and i take his hand out of the cage and his little fingertip just falls off i'm like oh my god yeah, so he had it, but they uh, they reattached the tendon. They did surgery on it and they stitched it up and put it in a cast for a couple months. And then uh, when he came out, he was left-handed instead of right-handed. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, otherwise, it seems fine. I mean, he's you know dyslexic and he's afraid of rabbits, but no. <laughs> no he's not actually. K- kindergarten I, is going to be awful. No, dude, he came. He came back. Um, from the hospital with the cast on when it happened and just like went out to the rabbit cage and just started like banging on the rabbit cage with this cast on it was like literally nothing had nothing had changed wow yeah crazy well i'm i'm glad everything's all right yeah that must have been scary yeah no everything's fine he just he just got spooked by the sound of the saw getting turned on and like 
you know, I don't really think he could have done any damage to Blazers down. But, you know, when you hear that sound, you're like, oh, boy, this is going to be a bad day. So, yeah, and, you know, it's funny, pivot back to our conversation, that idea of, uh, you know, hearing a table saw that's being operated somewhere remotely and you're just sort of, like, responsible for what happens, but you're not necessarily there. That doesn't, that, that's my number one fear for teaching this fall. It's literally just like, what does it happen, you know, if something goes wrong? Or let's say a student, you know, there's a lot of students that I think for, for whatever health concerns or whatever are going to elect to be remote in the fall just because, you know, there may be immunocompromised, they, they have other reasons. But, and we want to accommodate that, but at the same time, I'm like, well, I'm just going to hope that you have access to some tools. You're probably going to learn like I learned, which is like with an exacto knife and a hammer, and you're going to try and like do some of the work until you can afford to buy the tools, which isn't necessarily bad, but it also, uh, it definitely, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm, I'm still, my head's still spinning around that. I kind of wish I was teaching all just like web design classes or something in the fall so I could be like, oh, computers, boot up your computers, fellow computers. <laughs> something theoretical. Yeah, something where it's all happening digitally and the, the processor is the same because that's, I really do think that kind of education can happen from anywhere to anywhere, right? It's like as long as you have a machine that you can run code on, you can, you can get the work done. But, yeah, when you get into the physical stuff, it's, it's anybody's guess. That's actually one thing I haven't thought of uh, is uh, how are makerspaces and places like that handling COVID? Are they just completely – I'm going to guess they're completely shut down. I mean, yeah, I think ours is pretty – I mean, the, the BTU lab at the university is effectively shut down. It's been effectively shut down since the university suspended research activities. Um, but I think that – I've seen some that are doing kind of like res- reservation, like small numbers of people kind of can get in. Uh, sort of the same way that like, you know, some restaurants are doing or whatever, where it's like, we're only going to take this many people. And I think some some hackerspaces are doing that. But I don't actually know. I know that, yeah, the BTU is closed. I'm pretty sure uh, the Boulder Public Libraries, uh, which, which is the big one in, in Boulder, uh, Building 61, just gonna actually look it up because I'm curious right now. I wonder if it would be worth. Um, yeah, they're closed. If it would be worth going with a certain like a powered air purifier respirator system, because then you could, if everyone was just wearing those, then you could technically just have everyone in person. Yeah, no, I mean you could never take it off. There's ways you, you got home, it. but I mean they literally did like some workshops at the beginning that were like making masks and face mask workshops in the in the spaces. And I mean, there's lots of people that were kind of on that that track at the beginning when it was like, oh, what are we gonna do? How do we be useful? And people are like, I don't know, I can make face shields or whatever. Um, but yeah, as far as uh, as getting those spaces back operational, it's really tricky. I mean, everybody's trying to figure out some way they can do something. I have a, hold on, can you hold on just a second? I'm just gonna take this baby out of my garage. You good? Yeah. I think I am going to leave in the the table saw stories and stuff. Yeah, do it. We'll just hear his screaming in the background instead. Yeah, but... Uh... No, no, no. What I was talking about is... Because I actually went to TXRX, which is the Houston Makerspaces. And they have a... Like, these are the PPE stuff that we're building here and stuff. But um, it's something I completely forgot about, which is a powered air purifying respirator, which is basically a 
full face thing that clamps onto your face, and then there's a hose that goes to like a belt thing that's got positive air pressure filter. So technically, if you wore that, you you wouldn't get COVID. So if everyone was wearing those, yeah, no, I mean you could basically put everybody into these like interesting sort of uh, hazmat um, nuclear survival scenario type situations <laughs> where like everyone's in like a a full Tyvek you know coverall and like uh, they've they've all got yeah powered air removal respirators and they're all like sitting in there and just being like, so today we're gonna we're gonna take apart these old iPhones. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Or something even more mundane, like, we're, welcome to our knit bombing workshop. I hope everybody has their respirator turned on. Right? You're just like, everybody, I, the absurdity of that situation, but also how fun that would be to just do some funny, like, laser cut tree ornaments um, thing in a makerspace while still also having everybody just in sorbs. Yeah. <laughs> I can For imagine some- how noisy, like, those suits are because I know a Tyvek suits are really noisy when you move around, but th- think about like an entire auditorium of like 60 students just all shuffling around in their seats. Ugh. Well, especially you were saying if they're on like a, a positive atmosphere, like they all have fans blowing air in, oh, you know, yeah, just, just, just this weird hum from the auditorium. Or you can go for the cheap route and you know, those inflatable costumes, just That's slap fantastic. a filter on the input of that one. And so everyone's just giant T-Rexes walking yeah, around. Giant camp. inflatable T-Rexes hanging out. I'm I'm for that. I don't know if you've ever seen that video of like 50 people all racing on a horse track all wearing giant inflatable T-Rex costumes, but um I mean it's pretty much the best. I mean, Danny, it sounds like we've solved all the issues for the for the university. I mean, not trying to take too much credit here. No, I mean it's 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 what's happening. I just I just shared that link with you guys uh, for your general benefit. But yeah, um, yeah. Well, I don't know what the I don't know what the future holds with this. I think that some of these creative solutions are really good. And then there's also this question in my mind that's like, how much of this really is necessary? Like, obviously people have to make money and people have to like generate you know revenue to survive and and live and pay rent. But like, how much can we for a sustained period just pump the brakes on things uh, and just see what's the most essential parts of education and teaching and what actually really matters. And if I'm like, yeah, I could just teach digital classes this semester and everybody can just save the fun stuff for later, you know, whatever it could be. Did you well, just the- watch that video? Of the <laughs> <dinosaurs>? <laughs> 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 I'll have to post that. Know, the the question here, Danny, oh, is would you? You know, if if your option was, you know, this semester you can do eighty percent of your classes d- digitally, would you do that? You know, I think yeah, I would. I, I um, there's a part of me that would almost rather just throw myself fully remote right now rather than have to figure out the hybrid thing. Because as it is, they're like talking about doing in person for a while, and then when Thanksgiving break comes around, everybody goes home and you finish remote over the break, which makes sense, you know, transmission route wise. Um, but just having to be like, all right, well, part of your school is this, and part of your school is that. I think students thrive better educationally when they just know what their expectations are and they can engage with it. I think uncertainty is probably the the worst thing we can do for students. So as soon as we get it figured out, I think we're going to we're gonna go with that plan. And I, I trust my leadership, not just because they may listen to this podcast at some point, <laughs> you know, 
who knows? <laughs> but really, I, I do think that they're really trying to figure out what's working out uh, and what's best, especially the people in my program are really like, how do we be creative? How do we make classes work? And, and the schedule's all over the place and, uh, and the rooms are all over the place. But the people that are teaching the classes, they, they care a lot. And, um, you know, it it'll be a bummer of a semester in hindsight we'll all look back and be like that was weird and dumb and i hope that we don't ever have to do that again and if anything that's good out of all of this maybe it'll teach us how to be a little more resilient around these sort of scenarios so we can still do good education without totally melting down for two semesters or whatever oh for sure i think i think we're going to take a lot of this as like um data points let's just put it that way as to how to act the next time something crazy happens yeah and i mean once again this is i mean 2020 is like kind of a dumpster fire every year for a lot of things um but you know you want to try and remain hopeful that instead of just saying like well it just is getting worse and worse is that maybe like it's bad enough in lots of ways that you know positive changes actually do happen so uh that's what i'm that's what i'm holding out for at least, you know, when my mood is good. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am kind of uh, curious, you know, um, I'm sure this was true of you too, Parker, but uh, in my schooling, I, pretty much every semester, no matter what, I had one, two, three labs. And, and those labs were all, you know, three hour long, once or twice a week kind of thing. And they were very much meant to supplement all the... Uh, I guess you could say like the heavy academia side of things. They were the like, hey, get your fingers, you know, dirty and, and actually try to figure things out. And uh, so, the, you know, so much of what I was taught in electrical engineering, I'm realizing like I could do it the exact way we're doing it right now where, you know, I can see a virtual blackboard and we can learn it. But the lab part just that's so difficult now. It is. And uh, yeah. you could do the lab part. If you had the equipment, like what Danny was saying, if you had the same equipment that your lab had access to, you could do that. Right, um, but did you... Well, okay, I shouldn't ask that. You had that equipment when you were in college. I did not. No, no, I I didn't have that equipment either. But I'm saying... Oh, is, come on. Yeah, you it, did, didn't you? I didn't have a scope or anything. I had a multimeter. Really? I thought, I I thought you were decked out. No, no. Okay. Hell no. Well, sorry for uh, ju judging you. Yeah. yeah, man. Yeah, hey, you don't know what I've been through. I had a skill. I, I made. I made my first oscilloscope out of a piece of tin foil and a pair of pliers and an, an old light bulb. Anyway, yeah, I, I do think. Yeah, you could if you front loaded it for students and you were like, "Hey, you're gonna need this equipment, um, and it's worth it to buy it, and your student fees aren't gonna." You know, you can use the money for from student fees for this instead of paying student fees to buy some like actual gear and tools. It's tough in a multidisciplinary program like ours to do that though, especially, right? If it was like a strict straight electrical engineering program, there's a certain set of tools that you can be expected to use in your last couple of years, right? That that you're like, I am glad I have these and when I go and become an electrical engineer, I will still hopefully be glad I have these. It's not true for everybody, but I think in our program, because our students literally leave to go do anything from user experience design to physical computing to game design to you know web front and back end stuff like full stack it, it's it's really hard to There's go not just a here's package. the tools you need yeah we're just like yeah you need everything uh basically which is <laughs> that's the tough thing about our program is that we're very much this sort of like everything kind of buffet and the nice thing about 
having facilities is, you know, then people can test it out and they can decide like, oh, I do actually want to buy some of this gear, right? I'd hate to have a whole bunch of students take our introduction to physical computing, all get soldering irons and multimeters and all of these kits and everything, do the exercises and then literally never touch that stuff again. I would hope that they would catch the bug and they'd be like, oh, I'm so glad I have this, right? And it's not like a soldering iron is a tremendously expensive investment or anything, but uh, I do think, you know, sometimes the having it at school teaches you whether or not you even like doing the stuff, right? And uh, the assignments you get with the the class, they're not always even the things that make you fall in love with doing that stuff, right? I mean, I think we talked about that when when I was on before that, like, you know, the things you learned in school, you're like, nah, this is kind of all right. I guess I didn't do that much. And then you left, and like Stephen was like, yeah. And then I'm like building guitar amps and stuff. Right, and then you like fall in love with it through like the projects that you get to do in your free time, which we love in our program. Like our 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 makerspace is all about being open all hours for students to just make whatever they want. Um, and I'm hoping that we can at least make it available, even if it's limited in terms of its capacity, that students can still get in there and do stuff. Because I really think that you got to have some of that to get people like enthusiastic about making. It's only so much of the uh, sandbox in the head you can play around in, you know? Yeah, it's true. It's, uh, I think people can tolerate it for a semester or two. Um, but it'd be better if we could at least give them something that they can, when they come back to school, they can build on that. And that's maybe the other way to think about it is like, all right, well, maybe they can't get the best experience right now, but can we at least get them halfway to where when they come back, they're ready to really like, you know, crush it in the labs. Yeah, ready when, to hit the ground running again, right? Um, they can get some of the the busy work and, and routine stuff out of the way. Just practice at home with certain things, right? So almost like a wax on, wax off kind of paint the fence, Mr. Miyagi kind of thing, where you're like, "Why do I have to paint this fence, Mr. Miyagi?" And then you come into the lab and you're like, "Show me paint the fence," and they're like, "I'm so good at soldering." <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Okay, so uh, when do you expect or when do you think it will go back to, and this is really heavy quotes here, normal? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I think that I'm hoping by this time next year I'll be planning for a normal fall semester, right? Um, I think that fall is going to be messy. I think spring's going to be kind of an adjustment depending on what happens with cases and everything. But I, I think hopefully that, like, by fall of 2021 will mostly be, although I'm sure there'll probably still be precautions. And I don't know that schools will ever go back to not offering certain remote options, right? At least our program, I think our plan is to effectively make some version of remote access uh, continuously available for students, um, just because it helps with accessibility concerns for students that, you know, can't come into a class all the time. And there's almost no drawbacks to it in my mind, aside from maybe for the students, uh, for the instructors, not a whole lot more work and it, it does make your class available. So I think there'll be things that change that we don't ever go back to certain models of what we've been doing. And that's not necessarily bad. I, I think that widening access to education and hopefully making more of it online and, and just available to people to consume um, without having to pay tuition dollars. Like I'm a, a big fan of that sort of like open education model. Um, and hopefully 
you know, the new normal involves some of that. But at the same time, yeah, I want to be back in a space with students and I want to be like, you know, wandering around in the shop and, and you know, doing workshops together and, and building mayonnaise drones. Yeah, I want to build mayonnaise drones in close proximity to other people. I don't want to have to I don't want to have to use the mayonnaise drone. I want to want to use the mayonnaise drone. For for sorry for some reason I'm just thinking of the scene from Ghost where they're doing the clay pots, but it's a mayonnaise drone. <laughs> is it? Yeah, it's just a, Patrick Swayze is just like uh, you know Ghost is uh, is helping someone solder the connection points on a, a lipo battery or something. Yeah. <laughs> Steven, that might be the stupidest thing I've ever imagined in my life. <laughs> I'm I'm here to serve. Yeah, no, that's definitely up there. <laughs> oh man well fantastic oh, cool um we have anything else to discuss i think we're i think i think we're good i think, we're good. I think we did it yeah yeah we've solved all the world's problems solved education and COVID 19 all all at once in one 45 minute podcast we did it this is what podcasts are all about yeah. Cheers, so guys. Thank, thank you, Danny, for coming on our podcast again. And, you know, it's always fun to have I you on. Was happy to be here. Um, it was it was really good to chat with y'all. Um, yeah, I mean that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. I was your guest, Danny Rankin, and we're your hosts, Parker Dillman and Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Huzzah. Take it easy. <laughs>